The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Michelle Kwan. In 1996, the world was in the midst of a massive cultural movement that saw women finally taking center stage. Nowhere was this shift more apparent than at the 1996 Summer Olympics in Atlanta. This audience was the loudest thing I have ever heard in my life. The noise, everybody's cheering, and we see all these USA flags. It was the most important summer in women's sports history, and team after team after team, the U.S. women kept winning. Basketball, soccer, softball, gymnastics. I just said, give me mine. Like, give me mine. Join me for Dear Media's Summer of Gold, presented by Together. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Mariana, and welcome back to the Life with Mariana podcast. In this week's episode, I've got Madison Utendahl. She is the founder and creative chief officer of her namesake agency, Utendahl Creative. So if you are a brand and you're trying to figure out branding, your social strategy, there is so much that goes into not only launching and marketing your brand and the branding that goes into a product launch or a brand launch, but also the existing and ongoing marketing strategies of your social, your new product launches, what your brand looks and feels like, especially digitally. So Madison is an expert in all of these things. She has an amazing resume, which led her to starting her own agency. So before she started her own agency, she was the head of content and social at Museum of Ice Cream, where she was also a founding partner. And she grew their digital presence to an audience of over 1 billion people in just under 20 months, which is crazy. So then she started her own agency and has such incredible clients, which led her to being on the Forbes 30 under 30. This episode is not only great for brands, but also creatives too. Being a creative herself, who then started her own agency, she really talks about building and managing her team as a creative business, knowing your worth and why you should share your rates with your peers so that everyone could be compensated fairly. And before we hear from Madison, I wanted to tell you guys that we have a new Summer Fridays lip balm. We have the original vanilla and a new shade of vanilla beige. It is so beautiful. So it's the same original formula that you guys know and you love, just in new packaging. So we've got the original vanilla and new packaging, and we've got a new vanilla beige in a tint and a new packaging as well. So I hope you guys love it. It's available now at summerfridays.com and at Sephora. So now let's hear from Madison. So I love to start the podcast with how we met. Gosh, how many years ago was that? I don't even remember how many years ago it was, but we were on a brand trip and we were in Ibiza. (laughs) And on brand trips, it's interesting. Sometimes you're in hotels, sometimes you're in houses. We happen to be in a house, so we're actually spending more time together. Right, yeah. Yeah, and I remember, I think I got there early. And you, we were early, right? We were there before everybody else was. The three of us, I think. <laughs> yeah. And we actually were just sitting on our computers and working. Right. We were just working outside because even though you're on brand trips, which is kind of like a vacation, you still have to work and then there's still work going on at home. Mm-hmm. So we were in on European right. time zones, but you know, back in the US, people were still working. So the three of us would be up early on our computers trying to like oh catch up with what gosh. was already yeah. happening back at home. And that's how we met. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, and also it's so funny and thinking back at that moment, you know, at the time I was head of content and social and, you know, founding partner at Museum of Ice Cream. And, you know, we were really in the early stages of the business and Elsa invited me on the trip so last minute. And I remember my team being like, 
okay, so tomorrow we're going to, and I was like, I can't, I'm going to Spain. (laughs) And so I was trying to fill in the gap, like so last minute. It's hilarious. And I think you guys were about to launch ice cream in stores at that time. So I think you were like getting ready for, for a launch, like an actual product launch too, which. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is so crazy to think about from then to now. So you have had an amazing career so far at such a young age. So can you tell us a little background on, you know, what you were doing before and what you're doing now? Yeah. You know, my career is very unconventional and I always start that way. I think most people think because now I have my own, you know, I have a, you know, I call, we have a creative studio and we do everything from marketing to graphic design, to animation, to photo. Like I didn't go to school for any of those things. Right. I didn't start my career in a path or at a job that would have led, you know, typically would have led to this point. And I'm really proud of that. And I hope that's inspiring to people that like where you start is not always where you finish and to just trust that, you know, your journey is going to take you where you need to be. And so when I started my career, I graduated from Brown with a modern culture and media degree, which is, you know, a fancy way of saying film (laughs) and started my career at HBO specifically at Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. And at the time it was uh, the John Oliver show. We had no idea what we were doing. I was an assistant. So, you know, in the TV space, being an assistant means spending a lot of time taking notes and getting coffee. But what that really did teach me more than anything, like one was just like the narrative power storytelling. I think John Oliver has proven time and time and again, that he's one of the greatest storytellers of our time. Um, But also like how to build a true work ethic. TV's brutal right? It's a 12 hour day at minimum and you're on your feet for a lot of it, especially if it's a live show. So starting there, you know, my, what I learned was just, was not actually something that was applicable necessarily in a resume, but crucial to my overall work ethic and how I still operate. And after HBO, I went over to Refinery29 and I like to say that was my like career college. It's where I feel like I learned the most. I figured out who I was professionally and as a boss and uh, had the, just like the true honor and privilege of working for Pierre Gillardi, who is the executive creative director and co-founder of Refinery. Um, and Pierre just, man, I mean, she's just a genius. So being around her in proximity uh, is incredibly inspirational at, by every moment. But more than that, she is just such an example of, of the true power of empathetic leadership. Um, she led with her heart. And, you know, I would say the takeaway there was that if you, you know, if you learn how to show your employees that you really care about their well-being, people do great work. So after Refinery, went over to Museum of Ice Cream, was a founding partner and head of social and content, you know, took the storytelling skills from last week tonight and Refinery 29 and learned how to apply them to marketing. And so the through line there, like every job that I've had, the connection is in storytelling. And after a couple of years there, I said to myself, you know, it's a severely lactose intolerant woman who doesn't wear pink. (laughs) I was like, if I can grow these channels and build this company from a marketing perspective as like an extremely off-brand person, what could I do for brands that I was just more like-minded in where there was just greater synergy and personality type and, and mission and values? And I left after two years and decided to build my own company and it's been an amazing ride or an all-female team. And every single day is the biggest day of the biggest job I've ever had. And here we are. <laughs> Would you say that being a creative came natural to you and it was always something you wanted to do? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have had parents that really uh, supported creativity in their children. 
And I would say they did that by always making space to listen to us and watch us perform. So, you know, my sister and I were constantly coming up with games where, you know, there was like fashion shows and we'd make scripts and play, you know, songs on the piano and perform for my parents all the time. And they would just sit and watch and really encourage that in us. So I think as a result, I was, you know, privileged enough to grow up with a sense of confidence in that, you know, people wanted to listen to my creativity and that creativity was worth pursuing. I will also say though, my parents are investment bankers. So at the same time, like I also <laughs> very much, I'm a business minded person. And I think creatives too often think that it's one or the other, but the greatest value add in a creative, and you're this way too, right? Is like, is the ability to do both, right? To not fear understanding the PL of your business or, you know, the importance of having an accountant and, you know, your margins and all those things that can be overwhelming to creatives. Uh, I'm shaking my head. Yes. You know? <laughs> like, and you I think know? with yeah. creatives, it's almost more important because a lot yeah. of people yeah. are freelance or yeah. you are a small business with you and a very small team of people and understanding that cost and then fighting for your cost because really you're setting, there's no standard. So you're really setting the mm-hmm. price based on what you think your value is and what you can add to a business. And so the financial part of it, if you're a creative, if you don't like and enjoy that part, you need to hire people who can help yep. support you in that role because it is so, so important, especially like when speaking about rates and contracts and all of those sorts oh, of things. Oh, 100%. 100%. And to add to that, you know, I don't think people realize that when you don't double down and learn what your value is financially and you undercharge, it hurts every other creative that comes behind you. Yes, a big I, yes. You know, <laughs> You know, it like really does. Like I, we so often encounter clients that, you know, will say that, well, the agency before you charged, you know, a thousand dollars a month for 25 people. And, you know, and I'm like, who the hell is doing that? That really hurts you actually advocating for your true rates. And it's just so important that like we all as creatives own and stick up for ourselves and charge our true value because the agency or the graphic designer or the copywriter that falls behind, therefore won't have to battle and fight for their value too. So I think we forget as creative, there's like actually a trickle down impact on doing that work from a business and financial perspective. So before we hear more from Madison, I have to take a quick break to tell you about Loom Cube because it is something that has made my life so much easier. I have this struggle in my bathroom where I always want to create content, but I don't have any windows. So I'm always trying to drag in some sort of lighting or something to make my life easier or prop my phone up on my sink. And I can never get the right setup, but I have finally found something that has made my life so much easier. I think you guys are going to love it too. And the reason why I love this is because when you're trying to grow your social following, posting consistently is key. And one of my favorite content creation secrets is using LoomCube. And you really want to get the perfect light for every photo. And they have everything from ring lights to tripods and even full content creation kits. I really feel like their products are designed for me. I don't know what they did in their product development process, but if they got people like me to test these products, this is exactly what I would have designed for myself because all of their lights and tripods fit right into my bag, which makes setting up for shoots so easy and quick. And they're really designed to fit on a camera or phone. So whether I'm doing a TikTok or reel or shooting content for a brand, my lighting is always on point, which is so important, especially for me for beauty content. So it doesn't matter if you're just starting out or you have an established community of followers, getting high quality and reliable lighting setup is always 
always going to help level up your content creation. So here's what you can do. Use the code Mariana at checkout on loomcube.com. That's L-U-M-E-C-U-B-E.com and get 20% off. Again, use the code Mariana on loomcube.com to get 20% off your first order. Honestly, you guys, this is one of the best lighting setups I've ever used and they always sell out fast. So make sure you get yours today. How do you think there can be more transparency amongst creatives? Because instead of having this mindset of like, we're competing against each other, it's like, how can we share mm-hmm. rates, you know, amongst each other so that we're all being compensated fairly? Great question. I think we first have to let go of the fear of actually understanding what the, those, like how to come to those rates in the first place. Most creatives don't track their time. They have no idea how long they're spending on something. They don't allocate research into their budgets. They don't allocate brainstorming into their budgets. And when they don't do those things and someone says to them, what's your rate? Most creatives go into like a state of paralysis and shock, right? Because they actually haven't done the back work to understand what their cost is. And so I think it perpetuates a lot of animosity and jealousy amongst creatives because it's like the select few that have done the work that charge more. There's almost a sense of like, you know, how did you get there? Right. And I think it's a, there's a mutual sort of coming together that needs to happen. Like the creatives that have done that work and have faced those fears and are sitting down and asking the tough questions and, and actually calculating what their rates should be meaningfully should have a willingness to share. And the creatives that haven't done that need to step back out of their fear and realize that there's only an advantage by, by showing vulnerability and accepting and saying they don't know what their fee should be. So we can really just both be vulnerable on both sides. I think it can go a long way. I think it's not based on the time spent, but it's also based on experience. There's like that quote, if I do a job in 30 minutes, it's because I spent 10 years learning how to do that job in 30 minutes. You Mm -hmm. owe me for the years of experience, not the minutes spent. Because sometimes I can look at something and I feel like I have a gut feeling and I can give direction and feedback really quickly. And it's because I've been doing something for such a long time. It's not because it, mm-hmm. it only took me a few years to help or a few minutes to like answer you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true. It's so true. And, and, you know, it's, it's also the clients understanding and the, and the, the businesses, the distributors, everyone where creativity, where they're paying for these great, this creativity, like understanding that too, and doing the work. Right. I think that's where a lot of the disconnect comes in as well is that if the client is the, if the person managing the agency or the graphic designer is the CEO and doesn't have a creative background, like how can they also do the work to ask, you know, other people who are maybe have more creative roles to help them better understand the time being spent or, you know, why something costs what what it costs, right? There's an education on both sides that has to happen. Mm -hmm. And okay, so now you have your own creative agency. What do you do under your agency and kind of what are the roles that you have that help support you? So we are, I call ourselves, we call ourselves a, a multidisciplinary creative studio. Um, kind of a mouthful, but the reason why we say that, that is because we are just really not a uh, one size fits all. There's not a one thing you come to us for. The agency is divided. Uh, I would say 50% of it is marketing and storytelling. So that's everything from like brand launches to social media. And the other side is design. So it's branding, it's merch, it's uh, animation, it's graphic design. And, you know, it's, it's so fun. It's, we're an all-female team. We now are all over the world. I have team members in New Zealand and in Austria and in California. We're really dispersed and we've been able to make it work. And the team is comprised. It's small. There's only there's seven of us full-time. And then I would say with an extended influencer, uh, influencer, 
influencers too, but <laughs> contract freelance network. We have probably about 12 people and the majority are strategists and copywriters, creative directors and designers. Amazing. And um, what are some of the brands that you've worked with or you're working with right now? I always say that give us the, the least sexy, the subject, the more interested we are in helping it become sexy. We, we, one of our like greatest successes is Judy. I love, I love me some Judy. Judy is an emergency preparedness brand started by Josh Dashkin and, and Simon Huck, both two incredibly brilliant men. And they are really helping people prepare for the unpredictable. And we helped launch Judy about a year and a half ago and build their marketing and social channels. So really, really proud of that brand. We have stepped, um, you know, the beauty also has been in transition. They've now hired full time. And that's something, a big faith and belief that I have is that agencies are band-aids. Our goal is to help you get what you need done until you invest in internal team. That's like part of my philosophy as a founder. Do not look to agencies as a, as a, as a fix the best investment is in your internal team. But Judy has just been an amazing example for us of a brand that we helped launch and we're with for a while and is thriving. So I love Judy. A couple other brands we work with, um, we work with Halsey and About Face, which is her, uh, her beauty brand that she launched. Um, and then we also work with companies that are in this CPG space. So we've worked with Lemon Perfect, which is a lemon water brand, Drink La Da, which is a delicious hemp latte. Um, and then I would say one of our most exciting projects to date that we are very heavily involved in is Human Co., which is a holding company with a portfolio, a family of brands started by Jason Carp, who's the co-founder of Hugh Kitchen. So this is his next endeavor. And it's basically giving people the freedom to indulge through very clean ingredients. So think about everything from like, a, imagine being able to eat like a very healthy organic pizza bite. Jason is building it. And so it's been a lot of fun. Really that sounds right that. up my alley. <laughs> like I yeah, love all so the good. chocolates. So I'm like <laughs> anything new coming from them. And then la yeah. dive I see at Air One. So these brands are, and I have my Judy in my closet because I live in California. So I'm always concerned about yeah. earthquakes. And so these Amazing. are all things that I have and love. And for me, I'm such a, I love branding and I am such a sucker for branding because especially as a direct-to-consumer brand at first, it's the only way you can see what a product is, is what it looks like online before you get to experience Mm it. But Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people when they're starting a company, they don't either know that it even exists or they are having a hard time wrapping their brain around spending and investing on branding pre-launch. Mm-hmm. So why is it so important mm-hmm. for new companies to invest in this? And when is the right time pre-launch or as a rebrand? You know, I think that branding is, is, is multifaceted and oftentimes it gets labeled as very visual. And I look at it more so as a, like there's a, there's an A and a B to branding in order to have a complete, a complete brand in its totality. And I think they're both worth investing in, in the beginning. Traditionally, most people invest in the visual side of branding, so the packaging and the you know their logos and colors. And while that is so important, you have to think about that your your brand is an egg, right? And in the middle is is the yolk, and the yolk is like the sturdiest part of this egg. And the yolk is your brand beliefs, right? So your purpose, your values, your mission. And so often, brands just create the eggshell; they just do the visual identity. And so when they launch, it cracks. 
because it's not a strong enough foundation without really understanding, you know, what you're challenging in the, in the landscape and why consumers are going to respond. And so for brands that are hesitating to, to invest in branding, it, it's, it will cost more down the line to not do it in the beginning. I think there's another misconception that like you can't do the internal brand work yourself as founders. It's just about taking the time and asking yourself the tough questions. So don't invest in a logo and colors, in my opinion, if you can't answer or don't have any documentation as a founder of like what the functional benefit of your brand is or the social benefit or your core belief. Um, so the investment needs to be both a time perspective and then also monetary uh, in order really to have a brand, in my opinion, that's going to take off. Okay, let's take a quick break to talk about shopping. I know, I know, shopping online for clothes can be so stressful. You don't know what to buy. You don't have time. You're busy. Well, why not let Stitch Fix make it really easy for you by doing all the work so you can spend time doing the things that you love instead? So I'm really short, if you guys didn't know, and finding clothes for myself online sometimes can be really difficult. I'm always having to return things or scour the internet online to find stuff. So you can find your best fits on their site, anything from extra small to 3X, including petite, plus, and maternity. Stitch Fix offers clothing hand-selected by expert stylists for your unique size, style, and budget. It's completely different and a really fun way to find clothes that you will love to wear. Every single piece is chosen for your fit and your life, and it's a really easy solution to finding what makes you look and feel your best because that is really what I want from my clothes and my shopping online is to feel my best so I can feel confident through whatever I'm doing in my life. And they make it so easy because you can try on pieces at home before you buy, you just keep your favorites and send back the rest. Stitch Fix has free shipping, easy returns and exchanges, and a prepaid return envelope is included. Thank you very much because that makes my life so easy. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash Mariana, and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash Mariana for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Stitchfix.com slash Mariana. Now let's get back to the episode and learn more from Madison. We were talking about budgets and spend and stuff before. When I know everyone's pricing is really different. So there's such a range mm-hmm. of budgets for what people can keep in mind. But when mm-hmm. you're pitching yourself or another agency is when working with someone, how can you convince someone who maybe is hesitant to spend so much that there is value in investing in this mm-hmm. for your brand? For sure. You know, there's two, there's twofold. Like one, I would say is having data and, and proof and metrics of success. Um, that's my like, as that's where you can tell I have an investment banking family is, you know, you can't just send a proposal that has a a price on it that might seem high without giving context as to how you got to those numbers. I think when people just send blank numbers without a portfolio or capabilities deck or a case study as to what their work showcases, of course, the client or the, you know, the founder, whoever you're pitching to is going to be hesitant and have a lot of questions because there's no, there's something really for them to go off of right? To actually understand how you got to that point. And so I would say the biggest thing for anyone before you send your proposal, like make sure you have a deck attached that just breaks down your work, shows what you've done. If you have press, make sure you have press highlights. If you have maybe data from a numerical perspective, especially if you're working in social marketing, like include it because it gives a lot of context and it gives you the, the confidence that you should have as a creative to, you know, stand up for what you're making and why you are the person or the team 
worth investing in. I also think for founders, there needs to be a greater understanding between hiring an agency and then hiring a, a freelance contractor. They both have value, right? Like you can invest in an amazing multifaceted freelancer who can do your logo and your brand work. And those price points need to be different and they need to be understood. So your agencies are always going to charge more and you can't expect them to charge the amount as a single freelancer because it's, you're paying for a team versus an individual, but both have value. It really just depends on your budget. If someone's inspired by your career path or your business, any tips for creatives to eventually start their own agency? Um, yeah, you know, I would say first, if you can go off on your own as a freelancer and like learn what it means to do every job. So before I started the agency, I was a consultant after I left Museum of Ice Cream and I consulted for Bandier. And that's really where I was introduced to Lemon Perfect, Paravel, which is, an, is a great luggage brand, The Wonder, there's a Milk Bar. I mean, I really consulted for a while just so I could understand what does it actually mean to encompass and do all these roles? What does it mean to be a social strategist as an independent contractor in these brands? It's very important, in my opinion, to understand that framework because as you grow your team and hire, you have greater empathy for the roles that you need because you've done them yourself. So my suggestion would be, build out what it means for you to consult or freelance first, have a taste of what the responsibilities would mean, and then invest in yourself by creating your logo and doing all the things that you encourage in other brands in order to get started. One of the things that you do that I think you do so well is content strategy. And I love what you do. And I'm always like trying to recommend you to people because I love <laughs> where that starts. And, you're and so, so when, sweet. Thank you. When you're thinking about content strategy, where do you even start with a brand and how do you make sure that each brand has its own unique DNA and doesn't mm -hmm. look like everything else? Because I think on social, what happens sometimes is everything starts looking the same. Yeah, it's copycat for sure. You know, I always say that the first thing I do is break down like the dimensions of the challenge, like dimensions of the brand that we're going into. And you know, it's funny because I had my own way of developing this out. I like, I would just, I had my own questionnaire and that I would send to clients and it broke down sort of like how they want their brand to be represented, what they want their brand to look like. And then I had the really, the incredible opportunity to work with this like marketing legend, Brian Evangelista. And he introduced to me this idea of breaking down in the consumer, in the category, like what you're challenging and why consumers respond. And like to do that work, to really ask yourselves those questions is, is very hard, but it's, it's the way to start a content strategy, right? It's like asking yourself explicitly, what does this product provide a consumer and how does it challenge what's out there? And that takes a lot of work to break that down. And then you have to go into the emotional qualities, like what emotional value does this bring? What, what functional value does this bring? Does this have social value? And asking yourself those tough questions and the sitting in the stillness of, of looking for those answers is part of the work. And I think most people don't like to do that or they're uncomfortable with it, or they think it's corny, or they're insecure about the fact that like, you have to say to a brand, like, what emotional qualities are you leaning into in your consumer? But it's crucial. Absolutely. And when you're thinking of your content strategy, are you thinking content that's valuable? Or are you thinking sales-driven or engagement? Because I think those pieces sometimes can Great. all be the yeah. same piece of content, or they're very different pieces of content. Mm -hmm. Like for us, 
there's some posts we know and we know this post will not get great engagement, but this is so important to our story as a brand. So we're going to post this regardless of if it gets likes or comments because it's important for us to share this type of content. Yep, for sure. And I value that. I think it's, you know, it's it's smart to give yourself opportunity and space for both, right? So it's smart to have the brand love content and to have a strategy that's just about building affinity and brand evangelists and enthusiasm for what you're doing and your mission and your values. And then there's also clear KPIs that you have to hit as a business that you don't want to lose sight on because you're like too focused on building out uh, you know, a gorgeous feed. I think Summer Fridays is an, is an incredible job of striking that balance of like, clear KPIs and like what you're hitting from a sales perspective. And like, this is a product post and then posts that are all about vibe and and energy and you can feel it. Okay. Let's take a break for a second because I want to tell you about Skillshare, which you guys know I love. I tell you about it all the time. And the reason why I'm always sharing it with you is because I'm so passionate about learning myself. I'm always trying to improve on the things that I'm really good at and I'm trying to learn new things and expand my hobbies. And I feel like I have so much downtime at home. So why not use it to learn something new? And before I even tell you about Skillshare, you guys should know that I have a one month free trial premium membership if you go to Skillshare.com slash life. So it's free. You may as well try it out because Skillshare is an online learning community and it offers membership with meaning. There is so much to explore. There's real projects to create and you'll get the support of fellow creatives and Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth. One topic I'm always thinking of myself is finding passion or purpose in my life. So if this is something that interests you, try the Finding Fulfillment Using Pivots to Power Your Creative Career with Emma Gannon. And we're already seeing that video is becoming such a huge part of the Instagram platform. So if you want to learn your skills on there to get a little bit better, whether it's personally or professionally, try the video for Instagram, tell an engaging story in less than a minute class with Halisi Navarez. So if you are ready to experience real improvement with hands-on projects and classes designed for real life, explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash life and get a one month free trial premium membership. That's one month of a premium membership at Skillshare.com slash life. Now let's get back to the episode. When you're working with a brand and you guys are launching the brand on social, what is what are some good good tips to give to a new brand who's launching a brand on social to really make a splash and so they can get noticed amongst so many new companies? Yeah, I would say be I would say first off like be in the know of the algorithm and like set realistic KPIs. Social can be super distracting and overwhelming. You put a lot of pressure on yourself and it can become something that's a nuisance if you're setting unrealistic expectations as a new brand. The algorithm is pivoted. It's all about saves and all about shares. And if you aren't mindful of that and you're trying to build an account where you're focusing on likes and followers, you're going to resent this platform. And that's the last thing you want to do is resent it, right? You want to make sure that this is something that is uh, worth, has value to you. The other thing I would say is that like, don't get too focused on one platform. Like think outside of the obvious. So Instagram is the go-to, but like, what about Clubhouse? What about Pinterest? Right. There's so many other platforms out there that like you should be investing in as a brand in the beginning and leaning into what these platforms can provide you early on. 
I think too often we get too hyper-focused on Instagram. There's just so, social is so much more than that. Mm-hmm. There's so many great platforms now. And then I think because of Instagram, people think about content a lot for various different platforms, but for new brands without a budget or a very small budget, mm-hmm. how can they create quality content without a lot of money? I think graphic design is an amazing example of like investing in a really strong designer and coming up with a really powerful brand identity and style guide for social for design. Um, there's so many brands that have really leaned in on the design side of social and to pay for graphic designed assets versus, I mean, you know, I was putting together a shoot for content that from a photo perspective, it was night and day in terms of pricing. So aesthetically pivoting and adjusting, you know, what your brand could look like and how you invest in it is massive and then get scrappy, right? Like, gosh, I mean, Zeno of ice cream, like, you know, we did everything from set up seamlesses in the office and shoot things ourselves right? There was uh, so much of the work that can be done doesn't have to be expensive. It can be done by, as a, by a founder. And while that might seem like a nuisance or frustrating, you know, I think it's actually can be quite powerful because you know your brand better than anyone. So budgets are that tight. You know, YouTube is a gift. <laughs> Set up a seamless and get shooting. Yeah. You can learn how to do anything on YouTube. And honestly, <laughs> iPhones are so amazing. They take such yeah. great video and photo quality. Now I feel like if you have to get by, figure out, go on Pinterest source types of imagery that you like and see what fits your brand. And speaking of that, where do you get social inspiration from, or where do you get trends from? I love when you did for a while, which I feel like you haven't posted, but like you would post stories of like inspiration photos. And I would love yeah. when you would post those. I am a big reader. So I drive my friends nuts by sending them articles all the time. (laughs) So I read a lot. I think that inspiration comes in unconventional form. So yes, I definitely like look on Instagram and I'm inspired visually, but I'm also fascinated by the stories that are being told in the New Yorker or the Atlantic. I watched a lot of documentary film. I think these are incredible sources of inspiration. When I was at Refinery PR, I used to have a um, meeting called Creative Reference Shares where she invited people from all parts of the office to just show up in a meeting and present what they were inspired by. And, you know, an engineer would be talking about, you know, a new coding platform and it would inspire an art director who was like really engaged by the movement of when they're typing in code on screen. And like that impacted a video shoot, which impacted a graphic design asset for social, right? Like, I think we, we too often subscribe to that. It's uh, a one size fits all where you get inspiration, but I actually, I get my inspiration in the most peculiar places. And sometimes it can be a news article, you know, on New York times have nothing to do with arts or social media, but the graphic asset that the designer that they added to the story has in the middle of the page, like sets my brain off. So I would just say to anyone listening, like go unconventional, go outside of the norm. I love that. I love that idea of like an inspiration share. Um, Well, thank you so much. I feel like this was so helpful and amazing. I love everything that you are doing. Thank you. (laughs) And where can everyone find your agency and uh, learn more about your services? So we have our website, uh, utendallcreative.com or just head to my personal Instagram account, madison.utendall. And uh, I have things shared. I'm I'm constantly, I'm on social a lot, Um, but that's really where you can find me. Amazing. Thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. I'll see you soon. Hopefully. (laughs) Yes, yes. Talk to you later. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to subscribe to my podcast and rate and review because it would mean so much to me and follow me on Instagram at Mariana underscore Hewitt to see what episodes are coming up next.